Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is brought to you by the Canto Bike Gaming Commission. We're here to take money, not sides. And welcome back into A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy with your host, Ben Siders. That's me, and the other guy is Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the captain of the Enterprise. We have the good fortune to be joined today in the studio by our very special guest that we have been talking about uh, sneakily for the last a couple episodes. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Sharla Claypool is here. Sharla, say hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, Sharla is an attorney at the same firm that Kirk and I practice at. She is, like us, a dyed-in-the-wool geek. And she's here to talk about areas of law that Kirk and I know a grand total of zero about. Pretty much, yeah. And that, most of that has to do with social media because I try to avoid it. Yeah, Kirk, uh, <laughs> you, you're, you're, you're on Facebook, aren't you, Kirk? Facebook? Oh, yeah, I'm on Facebook. I might check it once every, like, six years. Yeah, and I can't I can't get Kirk on Twitter either. Anyway, uh, Sharla, why don't you go ahead and say hello? And, and uh, everybody kind of knows Kirk and I, I think, by now, but they don't know you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about about your practice. Sure. Uh, so I am a member of the advertising sweepstakes and social media law practice group at the same firm as Kirk and Ben. Very cool. Um, I've been practicing in that area for about 10 years now. Um, so I am one of the original social media law attorneys. <laughs> I'm, That's I'm, old school. <laughs> Ten years is about as old as the social I'm media. About as old as, I've been doing it about as long as Facebook's been a thing outside of college campuses. That's pretty cool. Um, so that's what I do when I'm not being a lawyer. I like to garden, do horseback riding, play golf, and cosplay. Cosplay in the, in the house. I we need yeah. more mangas on this uh, podcast. We'll keep talking about that. Now, what's your what's your best cosplay outfit? <laughs> uh, so I have a background in martial arts. So oh, oh, I man. would say Electra is my best cosplay. Very cool. Remind okay. me to never make Charlotte mad. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, tell how the superhero fits you. I think as well. We're, we're learning new things ourselves here today too. Well, so the topic today is uh, is RNG. That's an acronym that stands for uh, Random Number Generator. That's a tech term. Computers have all these built-in ways to generate. I guess they're not really random numbers. They're pseudo-random numbers, but they're random enough for for test data and uh, and games. Yeah. Is what we mostly use them for. But uh, when you when you incorporate RNG into games and other things, it can have unintended consequences. So, yep. And I think one thing that's important to put in with RNG when we talk about random number generators, they truly aren't truly random in most games. Mm-hmm. They do have some, you know, waiting. You know, even so you're talking about like matchmaking and stuff like that. They have waiting. They have pieces that go in that are not. Entirely random, so it's yeah. you know while we think of them as being random, they're not entirely random. Like on a technical sense, uh, the you know if you if you write a computer program and ask for a random number from the RNG, you're going to get the same first random number every time. <laughs> it's like they got random. That, they? Well, you have to you 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 seed the number generator with like a starting value, which kind of resets it. Yeah. And a common technique is to just pull the current timestamp and use that, or yeah. or or then you you'll shift it to get rid of some bit entropy. And there's some other tricks you can do, but for for the you know for our purposes, it's all random enough. Um, one of the one of the problems with this, though, is uh, a popular monetization uh, method for games is this freemium model we see, where yep. you know your first hit's free, man. You get the game, uh, no charge, and then you get hooked <laughs> on it. And then if you actually want to get anywhere, you have to put some money into it. So, Kirk, you and I both play Hearthstone. Charlie, yep. you want Hearthstone? <clears throat> I am not. Uh, you've avoided it. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blizzard, don't don't punish me for this, but don't start. You'll get it. <laughs> 
Um, no, it's, it's not as expensive as other games are. I mentioned the fact that I'm also on World of Tanks. It's a bit more expensive. Yeah, oh, and compared to like a, like, so Hearthstone's like a digital card game, collectible card game, and how good you are is partly a function of skill, but also partly a function of do you have all the awesome cards? And I, Kirk, you played Magic, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, in, in my book, the, the cost of staying competitive in a Hearthstone is like the cost of one decent Magic deck back in the day. Like, I don't think it's really that oh, yeah. expensive. I mean, you're basically paying 50 bucks to get essentially the, the new set when it comes yeah, out, which, I mean, which isn't even a full mm-hmm. box of cards, you know, of co- cost under the old Magic scheme. Well, so you so you can pay for cards in Hearthstone. You don't have to. You can do daily quests and grind through to get in-game fake currency, uh, but you can pay the money and you can get packs. And as with any card game, the cards you get from the packs are uh, randomized with, you know, common cards occurring more often and more powerful uh, cards being more rare. So the RNG fits in because you're paying money for a pseudo-random prize where you will get something of value. Sharla. Yeah. So what you have just described, Ben, in many states would be considered gambling under their gambling statutes. Um, And as you said, while different states have different wording, there's basically three elements that are present when you're dealing with gambling. The first is a prize being given away. So that's something that the public would generally recognize Mm -hmm. as being of value. It's being awarded by chance. Um, either by a component of chance or entirely by chance, and the consumer is giving something of value in order to receive it. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit, that in legal terms is called consideration, and we'll talk a little bit later on about consideration and what constitutes consideration. All right. Yeah, we've talked about con- consideration a little bit before because it's a contract term. Yeah, we've yeah. got into a lot of contracts. Yeah, stuff. we always get into a lot of contracts in the show. Uh, uh, well, so this has this has a lot of considerations. That's probably a poor choice of word. A lot of consequences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you follow a Hearthstone at all, uh, last year the Chinese Ministry of Culture issued new regulations that require online games with randomized prizes to publish the drop rates. And Kirk, I don't know about you, I was actually pretty excited about this at first. <laughs> yes. I thought we'd finally crack the mystery of the formula uh, that the Blizzard uses to uh, you know to calculate how often you're going to get rare cards and legendary cards. Probably really said was well, you get a rare card about once every five packs. Did, well, did, have they verified the pity pack though? They they, they did yeah. So the, there's a pity timer also where if you if you if you get enough cards and never get anything good, they have a pity timer where they just automatically give you like a legendary card. Yeah. I think it's hmm. forty. Yeah, it's packs. forty. So it's you get, the randomization is just, it's a one in twenty chance to get a legendary card, which is the yeah. highest level. But if you don't get one in thirty. <laughs> Get one after forty. So, it, <laughs> which you know, I've they, had happen. Yeah, I have too, actually. Or at least it seems like it happens all the time. Well, it probably <laughs> really doesn't. So, you know, the question comes up: Where is the line between what we would think of as just normal online gaming and gambling? And even if you've ever played uh, World of Warcraft, Charlotte, were you yep. a WoW player? I am a recovering WoW addict. <laughs> so, am I. Kurt, so this is the one I where Kirk wisely WoW. never got into it. <laughs> I played. In, I played StarCraft before it was on. Oh, Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Charlotte, what did you play in Warcraft? I was an orc. <laughs> really? What uh, what class? Ah, uh, oh my gosh, it's been years now. Tell me uh, played a Torin shaman. I always love the shaman class for some reason. <laughs> I like the Swiss Army knife class, where you can heal and do everything. Very so. Nice. How, when, when did you quit playing? 
Oh, that was senior year of college oh, when wow. my uh, grades started to make it look like it might be an impediment <laughs> to getting into the law school of my choice. So I decided it was time to put down the mouse. And <laughs> I, did, I did the same thing. Right when I got accepted to law school, I was uh, I got home from work and I had about three months before law school started. And I go to sit down with my team. This is when uh, when WoW was still in vanilla, so like the first expansion hadn't come out yet. And we're all on TeamSpeak. We're all trying to gather our, our 20 or 40 people or whatever to do a, a molten core raid and three hours later we're still waiting for everybody to get there and to summon all the right people in and I'm like you know what this just became a job I don't get paid to do oh, okay and I'm sorry that's just bad wow etiquette you do not show up late for a raid oh I know I mean in my no. book you just you're done if you don't show up then someone else gets subbed in but that's that's not how, how my guild see, this, this is where you can see the age difference of people in the groups is when I was in law school I was playing Quake and, and multiplayers the idea of having teams yeah right you just killed everyone who showed up. That was the whole idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so, so Charlotte's here to tell us where is the line between conventional gaming, uh, gaming and gambling. Um, and I think, Charlotte, you kind of hit at that already. It, it kind of yep. boils down to you know what what you're paying and then what you're getting and how it's awarded and this this makes me think mm-hmm. of like the the World of Warcraft auction house like yep. so you pay the whatever the 10 or the 15 dollars a month to play Warcraft. Mm-hmm. You put some time into it. Yep. Then you put stuff up on on the auction house. Yep. That you get in the game, you can sell it, get gold back, and then you can go online and sell your gold for cash. Yep. Is that gambling? Well, so it's an interesting question. Um, usually, when I deal with clients that are doing more traditional promotions, you know, companies that are going to do an in-serial box game piece promotion, the way you get around the gambling law is to take out one of the three elements that get us to gambling, right? Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a payment by the consumer. So most of the time, that's what people drop. They'll do a no-purchase-necessary or they will do an, what we call an alternative method of entry. So as you were describing with Hearthstone, I think you said mm-hmm. there is a way that you can have a chance to get premium cards without actually putting your credit card down. But if you, you play the game yeah. for a certain amount of time, then you have that opportunity without making it a purchase. So, is that what so the that's line one is? way like- we can get out of gambling land. The other way, and I think this is where most online game operators have traditionally hung their hat, is to say, yes, people have to pay to play our game. Yes, there are randomly dropping things happening, but what people are getting is not actually a prize because it has no value outside of our gaming world. But what we've now seen, to your point, Ben, is that there has now developed this entire gray market, so yeah, you get these secondary for markets in-game of- premiums. So we haven't seen a court yet address this in the online gaming context. We have seen a court address it in the online casino context. Um, and the holdings that have come out of the gaming commissions for that have said, hey, you know, you were fine when all people were getting for the slot machine hits was more plays and they just turn around and play more in the online casino and it's all for fun. But at the point when you started allowing people to go and sell those tokens and trade those tokens for gift cards and other things of value, you've now participated in creating a secondary market and turning this into a true currency that constitutes a prize. One of those things when you talk about it is it's, and I think this is the idea on a lot of these um, sites, 
obviously, like, you know, Blizzard has done marketplaces. They did the World of Warcraft marketplace. They did the Diablo marketplace. A lot of these marketplaces, though, are truly gray market. I mean, these are not mm-hmm. things that are being created by these game creators. You know, these are people selling accounts on eBay and stuff exactly. like that. Mm-hmm. Is that at all affected of the fact that it's sort of it's out of their control? So, yes, there's a secondary market, but they didn't create it? Right. You know, I think it could be a distinguishing factor. In my opinion, it would be in the uh, online casino cases. It was the casino itself that had some level of Mm. participation in the gray market. They had created side sites where you could trade tokens for, I believe it was discounts at certain Las Vegas casinos for hotels. And so the courts have said, hey, you turned this into something that can be used outside of the game. I think there's an argument to be made that, hey, if people go out and trade XP for plane tickets... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is appropriate hey, for the show. It's expensive, you know. <laughs> I do have a friend who met a special gentleman through the WoW universe <laughs> and did fly out to spend the weekend with him at Coachella in exchange for XP. So, <laughs> I have a friend who met a special lady through uh, Dark Age of Camelot, and uh, yeah, this so is these- apparently surprisingly common. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's. I'm not here to judge. I think it's interesting. No one's here to judge. But Um, there is this secondary market that has been created not so much by the game creator, but by the players. And I think I would be very interested to see how a court handles that. And maybe the way, if you're an online game operator, that you try and hedge your bets on that is to put something in your terms and conditions that specifically says... You may not do these things, and in the event that we find out that you're doing these things, we have the right to terminate your account and mm-hmm. forbid you from further play. Terminating so, your account, actually, that's a, that's a good one. Let's let's have a, one of the things you talked about is the fact that these things have to have value. And one of the issues I think you bump into with a lot of these games is they only have value as long as the game exists. And pretty much all these license agreements and all these agreements basically say, we have the right to turn the game off. And we owe you nothing. Yeah, and we owe you nothing. Is that a way to target the idea that these things don't have any value? I think it is. I think it's a good argument. And I think it's critical to your argument if you're going to try and make the argument that, hey, it only has value within the game. That also helps you off on a little tangent with some another area of state law, which is a sheetment, um, which is, I'm sure you guys have always got the spam email from some company saying, hey, you may have up to $15,000 that you're due sitting in an account <laughs> with the you state of California. <laughs> Pay us 50 bucks and we'll go check and see if the states actually, have the, money waiting for you. <laughs> the, the state of Iowa has something called the, the Great Iowa Treasure Hunt where they will actually like take that money that they're sitting there and try and find people. I have actually done this. I have like 200 really? bucks the state owed me for some reason like really? years after I moved out. So, <laughs> so these are occasionally legitimate. These are occasionally for tiny legitimate. amounts of money. So what achievement law says is, for example, if you had a bank account in college in Iowa and when you moved, you didn't close that account and it had 75 cents left in it. After a certain amount of time of that money being dormant, the bank is required to turn that money over to the state. And it accrues interest while it sits with the state. Sweet. And it will sit with the state for a certain period of years. It varies by state. Um, and if you don't claim it, then it goes into the state treasury. But they will make an attempt to find you. There is a public registry, which is what these companies are trying to pay you, get you to pay them. They're to bounty do hunters, is, basically. Yeah, they're bounty hunters. Um, so depending on what the state's 
statute says, the definition of what is property that has to be turned over to the state can be very broad or very limited. In some states, it's just pure money, accounts, things like bank accounts, um, gift card balances in some instances. But in some states, the definition of what is property and what is an account can be broad enough to cover some of these in-game currencies and accounts. So, you know, if you've got money in your account and then you decide, oh, God, I need to quit, if you go into recovery. <laughs> 12-step program. <laughs> Not likely to have anybody in this room anytime soon. Yeah. Step yeah. one, admit you have a problem. Yeah, so there is that possibility that that account credit could be property depending on what state you sit in and depending on what state the servers are in that is required to be turned over. Um, and I think one of the ways that operators try to get around this is to say, hey, this only has value here. Once we terminate the game or once you terminate your account, there's no refunds, no returns. Uh, to try and get further away from that concept that this is true property, this is truly something of value. Yeah. So on the on the pay to play side, so it's okay to charge. No, pay for, to win or pay to win. Yeah, pay mm-hmm. to win. That's, that's the meme right now. <laughs> so on the pay to win side, it's okay to charge if I hear you right, as long as you can also play for free somehow. Yeah, it is okay to charge if you can also play for free. It's okay to charge if you're not giving a true prize. Mm -hmm. It's also okay to charge if you're not giving the prize by chance. So remember, that was our third element. It's got to be prize, chance, and consideration. That's why I went back to the auction house, because the auction house isn't random. It's people bidding on stuff, but but the drops that you get... To put on the auction house are random. So mm-hmm. there's like, you know, we're, we're down to like six six degrees of Kevin Bacon here as far <laughs> yeah. as how, how attenuated we are from the randomness. But it's still there, mm-hmm. right? And and you have to pay the money to play the game, but nothing about, like the money you pay is just for access to the game. You're not required to go collect drops from monsters and go auction them or anything like that. So right. does that matter that it's just a part of the game and not really the point of the game? So that, again, is going to depend on what state you're in. Different states have different analysis for the chance element. Some states have a one-drop rule. It's if there is a single drop of chance involved in how you end up with the prize, then you're in gambling land. Some states, it's a more than 50% analysis. And in some states, it's this very, very vague, depending upon the nature of the game <laughs> and <laughs> the skill level required, blah, 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 blah. So if, so, I was to, if I was to guess that if I went through and read the terms and conditions for a bunch of online games and found that they all had the same choice of law, California, <laughs> that the laws of that state might be especially conducive towards this type of arrangement. I would not be shocked to hear that. It's the case. Uh, interesting. So, seriously, one of those. I, I just want to give this a sheet, man. I think that's an interesting uh, sort of idea of the fact that they have to give you this stuff back. One of the ones that it's just a sort of random story, but I think it's interesting. At one point in time, I actually heard that somebody was renovating a house, and in the process, they found a, a, a basically a satchel box, something along those lines, which was filled with old bills. And they worked out that it was one of these that I think it was Jesse James had stayed in the house. Really? Wow. And it was hidden in the walls and stuff like that. So they assumed it was prize money, that, or bank money mm-hmm. that he'd, he'd captured um, and done with it. Well, the people who got it said, you know, hey, we could keep this. It's kind of cool. But they said this really belongs in a museum. Um, and so they went and they donated it to a museum. The amusing part of it was supposedly about two weeks later, they actually got a check. 
Um, and they're like, what's the deal? You know, we gave them like $200 in currency or something like that. And they got a check for like $1,500. It was the reward the bank had offered for the original <laughs> return of the what? money, which they'd kept open and had been sitting accumulating interest <laughs> for like 200 years. This is what we call an option contract. <laughs> yeah. and it's, like, it's supposed to expire after some amount of time. <laughs> but it literally like, kept it open. It's supposedly they got, they, so they got the reward money plus interest, which was actually more than the physical money wow. that had been returned. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was, a, I don't know if it's true or not, maybe an urban legend, but I always thought that was kind of a cool story as to why you should do the right thing. Let's talk about the chance factor a little bit, because Kirk, you and I play Hearthstone, and we are obviously extremely skilled players, notwithstanding <laughs> our very expensive card collections. So <laughs> we, we are both pay-to-win players, yeah, I think, is the, the answer to it. <laughs> so Kirk, Kirk and I, uh, for us, chance plays virtually no no role <laughs> in the outcome of our games. <laughs> Which is why my run rate's so bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why my ladder, uh, my all-time ladder climb was like 10. Um, anyway, Charlie, let's talk about chance a little bit. So, you kind of said it depends. Well, like, like I think of like Texas Hold'em. Uh, unlike my Hearthstone play, chance is the only way I win at Texas Hold'em. Mm-hmm. So where where the skill of the player, you know, can can rise or fall. How, how does that play out? Because mm-hmm. to me, Texas Hold'em is a classic case of gambling. But I think any good poker player would tell you it's a it's highly a skill skilled game. game. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think with a lot of online games, we're in that same neighborhood of what's the combination of skill and chance. Yes, in Texas Hold'em, you have no control over what you're going to hit on the river, but there is a very big skill element in how you can move the odds in your favor. So when you think about first-person shooters, for example, mm-hmm. that is a high-skill game. Now, is there chance involved? Yes. You have no control over what you're going to encounter when you turn the next corner on the map, but whether you can get the kill shot on that when you mm-hmm. turn has a big, big skill component to it and how much you've played and how quick your fingers are and how good your mouse is yeah. all play a factor and those are all things that you have control over as skill. So here's a, here's a, a curveball I want to throw at you. What about fantasy sports? Where it's it's random, sort of, but it's not your skill that matters. It's somebody else's skill also mixed with some randomness. So I have been to a number of seminars debating back and forth what's the deal with fantasy sports leagues. Um, and I think we've seen some st- some states say, hey, no, this is unlawful gambling. Mm-hmm. We've also seen some states just kind of say quiet and sit back on the issue. You know, a lot of times, I think you'll see most of the fantasy sports games where you can make real money, it's pools of friends. Now, question whether the yahoos of the world can be indicted for facilitating an illegal gambling That's enterprise. That's the website, not a pejorative term for morons. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things may be the same thing um, in today's day and age. How, how much time have you spent on Yahoo lately? It might be mutually exclusive. Um, <laughs> I did crack an Alta Vista joke a couple of episodes ago and somebody yelled at me about it. Like, that does not still a thing, is it? Hey, if you, if you guys wanted to talk about like old search engines, anybody remember Dogpile? Or Webcrawler. Oh, I remember Webcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't, we can't go too far into this. We've already been accused yep. of reminiscing about the 80s too much, so I don't think if we migrate to the mi- 90s, won't, won't well, make any really Honestly, happier. I do think that fantasy sports leagues may be the one thing that's keeping Yahoo afloat because they actually have a very robust platform both yeah. for fantasy football and All for All my football pick and pools run there and that kind of thing. Well, they used to have a great forum board like, set up too, but I think that's even gone by the wayside now. So Maybe, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the last element, consideration. Uh, you said usually money, but it could be something else? Usually money, but could be something else. There are a series of cases 
I'll beat them old, older even than web crawler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which for our millennials may as well never have existed. Yeah, exactly. We're talking back in the, in the renaissance. Okay, so <laughs> this is how far back we go. This series of cases are called the movie night cases. So they go all the way back to when people actually went to the movie theater on Friday night and sat there for hours and hours and watched multiple new movies that came out. Wow. As opposed to downloading them or waiting for them to show up on Netflix. Well, I just so Friday. To be fair, Friday, my wife and I went and saw Black Panther. I know, and I'm everybody. Okay, <laughs> we can't count Black Panther or it. anything from the Star Wars universe because everyone goes to the movie theater to see those. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. It's so bad. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. I have a Black Panther outfit. That is why I have not seen it yet because I was waiting for it to be finished. Uh, Very nice. I'll have to. I don't know if you guys have a website, but... <laughs> we, can, we, we, we can tweet out pictures. Yeah, we can tweet out pictures and put them on Facebook. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so the movie night cases uh, came out of Florida, and this was, I think, the 1950s-ish, where people would go to the movie theater all night long, and there'd be little raffles between each movie and little newsreels, so you'd spend a lot of time there. And in order to get people to come, the movie theater operators would say, hey, in between each movie, we're going to do this drawing. And anybody who's present in that seat number is going to win up to $10,000, which was a lot of money back then. (laughs) Uh, Of course, state regulators raised a hand and said, hey, wait a minute, you have to pay to be in the movie theater in order to have a chance to win this prize. You got a gambling issue. The way the movie theaters tried to fix this was to say, oh, no, no, no. We allow people to stand outside the movie theater and they can come to the booth and they can pick up a ticket for this drawing. And we spin the wheel and we call the winning number. And if it's somebody outside, we broadcast it over the loudspeaker. And if it's somebody outside, they have five minutes to get from outside, inside, (laughs) (laughs) admission fee free, and come up to the stage and claim their prize. I'm sure that happened all the time. Exactly. (laughs) And that's exactly what the court said. Come on. First of all, it's nearly impossible for someone to get from out in the park across the street up to the stage in the time you're requiring it. You're making it much harder for the people who didn't buy anything to win than it is for the people who did. And what's more, having people standing in the park outside of a movie theater for hours and hours on end on a Friday night is just the same as requiring them to spend something. Um, I think we've more recently seen, and when I say more recently, it's the 70s, some guidance from the Federal Trade Commission suggesting that Yet the guys who send you an email saying, hey, take a quick survey and you could win a $50 Target mm-hmm. gift card, and that survey ends up taking you four hours, can also be considered consideration. So is there a clear line on at what point they're making you do jump through too many hoops, or is it just sort of, you know, we know it when we see it, Potter Stewart? Yep, yep. <laughs> there is, there's not a real clear line. I think as my recommendation to clients is, look, keep it under an hour. Anything more than an hour, you're probably you're asking for trouble. Asking for <laughs> trouble. Um, the closer you can get to a couple minutes, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about you know in game or in park 
uh, kind of promotions, you'll have an alternative method that's mail-in. Yep. Or more and more, I'm seeing social media alternative method of entry. It's, hey, you can either click here and go buy the product and get entered to the drawing, or you can comment on the post we made promoting the sweepstakes, and we'll go ahead and get you entered in. So here's a question. What, so we, we've, we've talked a lot about how you avoid having this classified as gambling, but why is it so important to avoid having it classified <laughs> as gambling? Other than in a lot of states, it's just prohibited. But Exactly. Uh, because it is prohibited is in the most main states. It is either prohibited or highly regulated. So many states say the only person allowed to run a gambling enterprise is us, the state. Because oh, that's we convenient. want all that money. It's good to be yep. king. Um, state lotteries. Kind of, kind of like the liquor stores in Utah. Yeah, the government doesn't like competition. The government does not <laughs> like competition. Or they say, because of the illustrious history of unfair gambling in our country, it's if you're going to do it, you have to have all these licenses, and they are expensive. You need to file all these reports, and they are expensive. And you need to subject yourself to our occasional governmental inspections. So how do these fundraisers work? Like, for those of you who aren't in St. Louis, I've never figured out, is Trivia Night the way we do it in St. Louis? Is this a uniquely St. Louis thing? I think it's a uniquely St. Louis thing, and that's where I sort of joke about it because it's when we used to <laughs> fundraising when I was, you know, in, in high school and I raised money for the band, we did bingo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, bingo was the deal. I'd never really encountered Trivia Night before. Or we'd go sell, like, like magazines, subscriptions, or something mm-hmm. like that. So for those of you who don't know, Trivia Night in St. Louis is an event that you can, you can literally do Trivia Night every night of the week every week of the year, and they're not like your bar trivia where you show up and they ask 20 questions about The Office. It's like 10 rounds, 100 questions. There are companies that can be paid to professionally write the questions. Uh, it's a big deal. The tables cost hundreds of dollars to be at. You can win a lot of money at these things if you're good. The competition is tight and fierce. There are rules. I have gotten into near fist fights over the first five digits of pi at one of these things. Uh, and more recently, I got into a big argument over how many time zones there are in the United States. States, mm-hmm. There are six, and anybody who says otherwise <laughs> is wrong. Anyway, so this is how trivia I nights work here. I successfully won an argument about who shot first. It was absurd that it was even something that I needed well, to on, challenge the answer to. <laughs> We're talking about Greedo, right? <laughs> Greedo did not shoot first. No. It's, it's, it's a generation gap. Greedo didn't shoot at all. <laughs> Greedo did not shoot at all. <laughs> anyway, so how did trivia nights get away with this? Because so you have to well, pay. Anywhere from $150 a table to be be there. I mean, one, I think trivia nights particularly, you've got a good argument that that is a skill. That's what I would argue. Especially the way we run them in St. Louis where there are so many questions Mm -hmm. and they are so intense. Yeah, these questions are I don't know about you guys, but I've had charities reach out to me and ask me to opine on a legal category Mm -hmm. of questions. So they consult experts. This is intentionally hard. So there is... I mean, could you argue, well, there's some chance in who the else question, shows up? On the questions, you know, are random, you know? if you happen to know something or not. Yeah. But. Right. And, you know, if there's a group of, you know, Yale alumni at the next table, and They'll all probably the questions lose. around physics, probably lose. then, yeah. <laughs> I got to pick on Yale a bit. <laughs> well, yeah, we went to, a, my wife and I went to a Big Ten trivia night a couple years back, and so, you know, for those of you who don't know, the Big Ten is mostly public schools, but you've also got your Michigans, your Ohio States, and the worst of all Western. of them, Northwestern. And so, my alma mater, so be careful. <laughs> so we get there, I'm thinking, all right, there's like four Northwestern tables, they're going to clean up, right? No, the, the number one table was Michigan State. State. Two was uh, a tie between uh, me, the Iowa table, and Wisconsin. 
Wow. Yeah. Northwestern won best decorations. <laughs> you should be ashamed. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing they do in these tri- the trivia nights is that they almost always have like these weird secondary competitions, one of yeah, which is like for decorating the table. Sometimes it's for we costumes. We did 80s night. I had my MTV shirt and <laughs> torn up jeans and a mullet wig on. It was awesome. It's my Facebook picture now. <laughs> Yeah, so I think you do have a good argument with trivia that it's skill. If we talk about some of the more, um, yeah, the more chance based fundraisers, like the fifty fifties, like the fifty fifties, bingo. I don't know if you guys have seen this becoming a thing more now. Mouse races. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Where just like horse racing, but mice. It used to be turtle races track. back in the day. Yeah. Oh, well, really? We also have wiener dog races. Yeah, the wiener too. dog races. Yeah. 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 So that Mardi Gras, the wiener dog races. I always thought turtle racing was dumb. Like, how long do you want to be here for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some of those things that are pretty clearly chance, and there's pretty clearly payment. Most states have an exception to their gambling statute for charities that are raising money for the charitable purpose. Mm. So you don't get around the law by just starting a 501c3 and opening a casino and then (laughs) using the money to build your McMansion. (laughs) But for charities that are truly fundraising, there are exceptions. Now, you have to be a little careful because sometimes those exceptions are very narrow. So in some states, the exception is only, well, a charity can run a raffle. So if you're in that state and you do mouse races, you're in trouble Mm -hmm. The same way as if you were a for-profit enterprise. Yeah. What are the I know we had that issue with the, when I did the bingo fundraising. There was in, we had the issue because it was we could only give away a certain amount of money at the bingo. That was a requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas and we actually used to compete against. Um, we had a reservation just you know down the down state from us. They could give away anything because they were authorized as a full casino. Um, and so that oh. was always one of the big differences is the fact that we could you give away this limited amount of money in conjunction mm-hmm. with the actual bingo game, which is why you tended to focus on the other games because we could give away an unlimited amount like in pull tabs and in other sort of games of chance so long as they were fixed odds um, as opposed to the bingo. So, hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So huh? yeah, on the penalty side, um, of course, there's monetary penalties. So the government can seize everything you've earned as a result of the illegal gambling and they have accountants <laughs> whose job all day long is to go into your books and figure out what that is. Plus, of course, interest and penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also criminal repercussions. So in most states, the gambling prohibition is part of the criminal code, and it is a felony criminal offense. And in fact, in the movie night cases, the way we know so much about the arguments back and forth is because it was a habeas corpus appeal, because they (laughs) threw the manager (laughs) of one of the movie theaters in jail (laughs) for operating an illegal lottery. They were screwing around. (laughs) My goodness, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I when I first uh, moved to St. Louis, I got into a, a poker group over in uh, on the, in Illinois, and uh, it was a, a pretty good size like Texas Hold'em uh, mm-hmm. group. And the idea was whoever wins there, you know, it was I forget what it was to to show up and play. It was your typical small cash game, mm-hmm. um, but whoever won their series over the course of the year, they're putting some of the money aside supposedly, which would go to buy your entry into the World Series, one of the World Series, mm-hmm. uh, you know, round robin, uh, you know, en- entry tournaments. Mm-hmm. So. So the, the first day I get there and the very first hand I sit down at, uh, I, I flop a, a nut flush. I got an ace ace in all hearts. Uh, and uh, the guy next to me clearly has the king of hearts because he's all in. I'm all in. I double up on the first hand and cruise <laughs> to an easy victory in the rest of the night. I'm thinking, man, I'm so good at this. Uh, then I just never went back again. But uh, it turned out not to matter because the guy that ran it was just embezzling all the money and oh. using it for whatever he was using it for. And at some point – 
the the <laughs> local law enforcement showed up and and shut down one of the games. That was the end of that. Yep. So <laughs> that was the point where I was like, you know what? I'm not really good at this game, and so I'm going to stop throwing my money away. <laughs> I really kind of wonder if did, did this come about like some of these criminal penalties? Is this something to do with sort of the you know mobsters and their association with oh, illegal yeah. gambling previously? Is that where it became it, criminal? It does. I mean, absolutely, the mob. I think some of the earliest lotteries that we saw in this country were from immigrants from other countries, and they were. They started out as community enterprises. It was a way to raise money for the family that just came over, mm-hmm. and you know the last, the biggest group who came from your town that now need food and clothes and housing. It's barn raising, basically. Um, and like most things that have to do with large sums of money, they went very corrupt very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and states said, well, we better step in. And that is how we actually ended up with state-regulated lotteries. It was a way for the state to say, hey, if we're going to do this whole everybody put in money that's supposed to go to some common good um, in, exchange for, in exchange for somebody to have the chance to get rich quick overnight— Fine, but let's make sure it's done the right way, and the way to make sure it's done the right way is to have the state run it. Because the state does state such always a good does job. Always does right such way. a good job running things the right way. <laughs> Didn't we make a prior joke about the empire in here at one point? Yeah, time? we did. We did. So, an interesting side note: um, the Illinois lottery. Speaking of how the state always does things the right way, when Illinois was in very its fiscally big, responsible Illinois, very government. fiscally responsible <laughs> Illinois government during its budget crisis a couple of years ago, found itself in the position of not being able to pay out the large. Jackpots for some of its lotteries. So for a couple of years, there was quite a bit of press and a little bit of litigation because people were winning $500,000 scratcher tickets or $250,000 lower power balls where you Mm -hmm. hit everything but the red ball, and they were getting IOUs from the state of Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) That's a terrible feeling. Like, I finally won. I literally won the lottery, and I got an IOU. I won the lottery, and you get an IOU. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) a kick in the teeth. That's just awful. That's placing fourth place in the Olympics. It really is. Charlotte, any closing thoughts? Uh, Recover it. Yeah, I I think we've covered it. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you just one final question I have. Sure. I have heard before that one of the things that you bump into in conjunction with gambling laws is that you can't not use a game of chance to win a game of chance. Is that true? You cannot win a game of ch- use a game of chance to win a game of chance. Yeah, Can so you give me an example? So the example of something would be is like you couldn't do a you know okay I'm going to give you a lottery ticket a scratch off lottery ticket and if you win the scratch off lottery ticket you win a second scratch off lottery ticket. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Is there do you know anything about that? That is some meta right there. You know I we see it all now. Granted in states sanctioned lotteries. We see scratchers all the time where what you win is another another free ticket. Another free chance, Um, yeah. I think you could get in some trouble if you're on the private side, if you're representing to the public, hey, we have all these great prizes. You could win a prize, and really your prize is another chance to win a prize, and you haven't adequately disclosed that in your marketing. But we, do, I have seen instances of that. So McDonald's, I believe, and Monopoly for a few years. Um, that I think 
I recall that they speaking had a of prize corruption. where speaking <laughs> <laughs> or the evil empire. <laughs> well, if, if, if those of you who don't know, McDonald's for uh, it was in the news a couple last year maybe that like for a number of years the winners of all the McDonald's uh, monopoly things were all insiders who were stealing the yeah. mm-hmm. the cups and stealing the winning tickets and like the same couple people in, 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 mm-hmm. a, in a connected family were were doing this. So well, I think I also recall just a note to those of you who have companies and want to run sweepstakes in terms of what should be in your rules and what due diligence should you do on your winners. I seem to recall that a few years ago, there was a McDonald's Monopoly winner who won a decent sum of money. It wasn't the million, but it was, you know, a few thousand dollars. And they went to pay the guy out and they Googled him. And it turned out he had actually done time in prison for robbing McDonald's restaurants. (laughs) And there was this big internal argument about, well... Should we, can we, we don't want to pay this guy this money. He, he's been stealing money from us. But, you know, if you look at the official rules, did they have the grounds to qualify? He didn't cheat on the game. He didn't violate the rules. Unless he presumably stole the cups that won. <laughs> Unless he stole the cup that won. Wow. That's interesting. So, just a, yeah. You know, so just a thought when you're putting together more traditional sweepstakes where you're not in gambling land, there's still a lot to consider about, well, how do we want to run this and how do we want to have control over who our winners are? Yeah. Speaking of, you know, like interesting, you know, fun things in advertising like that, did you guys happen to see the, um, this is like current news from when we're recording this, the um, the KFC ad for the missing chicken in, in England? Uh-uh. So oh. they probably oh, have chicken yeah. shortages. They just posted this uh, this full page picture that shows an empty KFC bucket, except that the letters are rearranged, are rearranged so it's FCK. <laughs> <laughs> and they have this whole big discussion of a chicken restaurant without chicken. This is not a good thing. It's like this basic public apology. It's a brilliant ad campaign, actually. It just looks really good. I just, you just go check it out. Because it's just, it's cute, and the Brits are really just eating it up. <laughs> Figuratively, obviously, yeah. since the chickens. <laughs> <there's no> chicken. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got mail today, and I'm I'm thrilled to announce that we have the most well actually guy moment that we've ever had so far. Yes, in this that's show. very true. Someone corrected me, so we did our Star Wars Episode Eight uh, follow up, and Kirk, you and I had both predicted somebody would say the line, "I've got a bad feeling, feeling about this. this." We did not get that right. We did not find it in the film, except apparently. Rian Johnson has confirmed the line is said by BB-8. Which means that my prediction was right that it's in a foreign language. <laughs> no, we should have rewritten that prediction. So yeah, Kirk was right. It was not a, a an English-speaking character that said it. So uh, thank you to our well actor. I forget who it was. Somebody I ran into just told me, by the way, you're wrong. Uh, he, someone does, does say that line, so... There you go. Our first, our first true well actually. Yep, and moment, that's actually I think. a pretty cool one, I think. So, uh, someone. The next comment. This is Dave from Facebook. Says Ben, you had a great discussion about net neutrality going on Facebook for a while, then it just stopped. Can you guys talk about that some more? I think it's your thing. Yeah, we'll do I'm one. sure. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about some net neutrality here again in the future. It's hot at time, so it's kind of very cooled down a little bit. I'm sure we'll find a reason to get back to it. I've got this theory that uh, the Marconi Radio Company and the Titanic teach us everything we need to know about net neutrality, which, <laughs> which seems, seems attenuated. But I'm, I'm going somewhere with that. I'm still kind of get my thoughts together. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, next one from Chris D. Aren't you both from the Midwest? Kirk has a different accent. Oi. <laughs> well, Kirk's, Kirk's from Colorado Yes, I'm originally from Colorado So that's probably why I have a different accent Because I'm not technically from the Midwest I'd call myself Western at this point in time Well, your mom's English, too so Yeah, my may, mom is British may, so. uh, 
bear on that. Okay, and then our last comment. Oh, we got two more comments for today. Chris J says, uh, you might rethink that Second Amendment episode idea. I, th- I think what Chris is referring to is we want to do an episode on uh, the interplay between energy weapons and Second Amendment rights, um, but that was before the Florida shooting happened. So, uh, you know, we're, we're probably going to still do an episode on, on the legal involving, you know, phasers and that kind of thing. It's yep. not really about the Second Amendment specifically. It's just kind of a shorthand for the law of weapons. Yeah, it's more just the, the play on what we're looking at is the idea that the vast majority of science fiction utilizes energy weapons, which are weapons that basically don't exist in modern culture. They're getting there, but yeah. they don't exist yet in modern and, culture. And, and energy weapons mean? are going to be regulated by the Energy Regulatory Commission, so there may be interplays yeah, there too. Or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Uh, <laughs> next, we have another question from Juan Calamezzo in Coralville. Juan, I'm going to figure out who you are. He says, hey, catching up on your back catalog, did I hear you say you got mail from Ed from Iska? Is that Iska as in Iska BBS? Please tell me that's not still a thing. Sorry, Juan. It is Iska BBS. <laughs> it is still a thing. Just nobody uses it yeah. except for weirdos from Iowa. Yeah, it's got it's got literally like a couple dozen people left on it, but it is still out there. I, I log in every, uh, about every day. Uh, and I think that's all we've got today. Yes, that is it. That is all of our questions for today. So uh, there is the music, and it is time to go. If you have questions, comments, or well-actually corrections, you can send your thoughts thoughts to us on Twitter at LGGpod or email us at LGGpodcast at gmail.com. You can talk to us on our Facebook page, search for Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. If you like what you hear, give us a review. We appreciate that. It helps people find us. You can also find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders. Kirk is at KirkDMN. Sharla, do you have a Twitter? <laughs> at Sharla Claypool, but I check it very rarely. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, uh, next time we have the big enchilada everybody has been waiting for. We will start talking about character copyright and fan fiction and how this fits into the Disney company's influence on our copyright laws and so forth. So this is it. This is the one everybody's been waiting for. Uh, We will probably have to play this out over several episodes. There's a lot to unpack here, but uh, we're going to start going over character copyright next time, so you won't want to miss that one. Sharla, we can't thank you enough for joining us today and educating us. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being here. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lorem, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. 